0: podcast i'm donovan and i'm doing this solo today roy is out he is not feeling well but we're gonna have travis radke and a, a kind of a neat little trip uh, neat little uh segment with his wife and talk about the quarantine life and how she's been handling having travis uh be around the house uh when he normally would be actually uh, going to spring training right now but first travis radke was drafted in the 25th round in the 2014 draft Out of the University of Portland. It started through his first full season in 2015 where he pitched in Tri-Cities, Fort Wayne, and Lake Elsinore. At the end of that season, Travis underwent Tommy John surgery that cancelled his 2016 and 2017 seasons. 2018 saw the lefty transition to the bullpen where he earned a Midwest League All-Star selection and made it Stop In every full season affiliate, having a fastball that never hits 90 miles per hour, the Thousand Oaks native has relied on command and changing speeds with an almost obsessive study of every nuance of hitters from practice swings in the on-deck circle to which pitches hitters take. That attention to detail has served him well. In 2019, Travis had a 3.77 ERA with 76 strikeouts in seven or two-thirds innings and pitched his way through the top three levels, including a 2.79 ERA in the hitter's paradises of Amarillo and a 2.97 in El Paso. And he and his wife joined us here on Friars on the Farm. Welcome, Kristen and Travis. Thanks Hi, for having thank us. thank
1: you for having us.
0: Hey, hey, real quick, I was studying, you know, I looked your name up on the internet, and um, by any chance, are you T.W. Radke? T.W. Radke? Nope. And it's kind of it's, the irony here is it's T.W. Radke was author of Argonia, uh, The Legend of Micey. It's like a, you know, a fiction novel. But I thought. Well, I
2: have to on that. She's a big book reader. So she'll have to let me know what that's
0: all about. Well, you know, and I'm like, ah, I couldn't be him, you know, but it's in the Argonia. So I'm like, you know, you went to Portland. Maybe you wrote something back in college. Um, and I couldn't find anything else on the author. So I'm like, ah, dang, well, maybe not. So, well, good. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just you and your little wife. Yeah. You, you and your wife with a little baby. Yeah. How old is the baby?
2: Uh, no baby, actually, right now. We yeah. do have a little fur baby. We have a fur
0: baby. We have a dog. So, yeah. Uh, what's her name or his name? Gus.
2: Yeah. His name is Gus. He does a good job of uh, taking care of Kristen while I'm gone for baseball. <laughs> <laughs> we,
0: we have a cat. We're, we're lazy like that. We have a cat. So Travis, you played you played baseball with Trevor Gretzky, yeah?
2: Yep, yeah, I played baseball with Trevor for goodness, uh, close to eight or nine years. We were not only on the same travel ball team but also played high school ball together as well.
0: No kidding. So did you ever get to hang out with his dad? Did you ever get into the perks of being hanging out with the son of Wayne Gretzky?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it was it was really cool. But the the best part about, you know, playing with him and getting to know Wayne were they were just such great down to earth people. They never acted like they were celebrities. They never treated anybody else like they weren't celebrities. They were just really great, grounded people, and that's something you hear from a lot of people about Wayne. But uh, yeah, I remember uh, back when uh, we did that fun uh, Cooperstown tournament that a lot of travel ball teams would do. Trevor was on the team, and we were from uh, we were called the Westlake Warriors. But as soon as we got there, we were known specifically and as the Gretzky team. And was there, were a, there were a couple, you know, teams there from further up north, and a few from Canada. And I'll never forget. I think we had one game where a little kid came out from the bullpen from another team in his team's uniform and ran out onto the field, and he had almost a life-size photo of Wayne Gretzky framed, playing and everything, and wanted him to sign it. I'm like, where did this kid find that photo in time to get that going? So, that was a great, great, good time getting to uh, play with him and actually back in. Oh, goodness, I think 2015 now when I was back in Fort Wayne, I actually uh, got to see him over when we were playing Burlington when he was with the Bees before his uh, career ended there. And uh, it was really cool to get to see him and kind of see it all come back together.
0: Yeah, Burlington, that's short season, yeah? Uh, Yeah, it's
2: going to be a full season low A uh, in the Midwest
0: League. Uh, okay, I- I'm thinking of the Burlington Royals that are in the active league. Yep.
2: Yeah, there's two of those. These were the Burlington Bees, tough ballpark.
0: Oh, ah, interesting, interesting. So, hey, you originally drafted by the Reds out of high school. Um, yep, yeah,
2: originally drafted by them.
0: What made you go to college?
2: You know, it was a, a really interesting circumstance. Um, you know, I, I was hoping to get drafted, but at the same time, I, I wasn't really on too many people's radars compared to when I was in college. And uh, I'll never forget, I was actually in high school, and I was actually taking final exams. And I got a phone call on the uh, second day of the draft, and the Reds were calling me, and it was around the sixth round, and they basically said, hey, will you take this amount, and we'll draft you in the seventh round out of high school. And I was not expecting that at all. And uh, unfortunately, their offer was really, really low, and I didn't want to simply say that and then come back later and be like, no, I want more because I didn't want to be that kind of person. So I let them know that that wasn't close to what I was looking for. And they're like, oh, okay, and hung up. And then around the 42nd round, they call back and, mm-hmm. Do, do you still want to get drafted, was their, their name. That's literally what they said. And I'm like, um, yeah. They're like, okay, well, we'll see. We might take you. I'm like, all right. And then, lo and behold, got to hear it over the Internet, you know, got drafted in the 45th round, which was really cool and really special for me. And on top of all that, I think we, uh, they ended up coming back with the same offer as they did when they were calling in the seventh. And uh, so I ended up going to play uh, collegiate summer ball in the California Collegiate League with uh oaks and so they basically kind of did a draft and follow and followed me for a while and after a little bit um right before the all-star game they they bumped it up a little bit and they flew the scouting director out to come watch me throw a pen and got to talk to him and then i pitched in the all-star game and had a really good showing and so they called me again afterwards and raised a little bit more but this whole time they really weren't raising it by much and i just kind of let them know hey you know it's it's just not close enough i'm not i'm not asking for a million dollars but what, what was being offered was just kind of like not where i really was seeing it to be worth it when it wasn't even as much as my scholarship to portland and uh i'll never forget uh i told him that over the phone and he responded and he said all right well uh have fun in college and hung up
0: wow just, i guess they gotta be pretty and, abrupt right there yeah
2: i was like Okay then. But the story gets even funnier because I ended up going to Montana with my dad for about a month before classes started up in college. It's kind of like a fun little getaway before college. And uh, by that point, you know, I was getting to know uh, my teammates getting into my dorms, meet, meeting my coaches and everybody a little bit more, like getting ready for that. And I was up in Montana. I think it was August 15th, which you know, back then it was the deadline was a lot later than it is now. And of course, there was none of the CBA allotment and all those things going on. And I'll never forget. I think it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, I got a phone call from them, and they basically doubled their offer, and it was what I was looking for two months earlier. And I was, and they called me and offered it to me and said, "Hey, uh, this this is what we're uh-huh. doing, and uh, you have 15 minutes to decide, uh, Take your time and call us back." Oh. And it just caught me by so much surprise that I was totally not expecting that, and you know at I remember telling myself, my dad, you know, a month and a half, two months earlier, like, if if they gave me this, I think I would go. And uh, and then they were offering it right then. And I just, I felt like the way the whole negotiating process went with uh, everything had kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. And on top of that, I was starting to develop relationships with the teammates at college. And I really felt like it was going to be a great place for me to get better and to not just be someone who gets drafted out of high school and then washes out two years. All right. And so I just decided to, to let them know, you know, hey, I really appreciate it and hope to hear from you again in three years. But I'm going to go play college baseball.
0: Yeah, integrity sounds like a big a big part of that, too. It's like, yeah, I'm already committed to this, to this organization or, you know, to this program. They're expecting me to play. What was your major in college? Um, I was a
2: sociology and criminology major with a uh, minor in Spanish.
0: Really? <laughs> what, uh, so did you want to go into law enforcement or – yeah that
2: would be the the dream goal after baseball whenever that time comes heck even if I played 10 years in the big league, I'd still want to go do it but uh my dad was law enforcement his whole life still is as he's retired now uh my sister's law enforcement and it's just kind of been something that I feel just really fits for me and it's something I'm really passionate about and really enjoyed getting to learn more about it in school and kind of figure out where I might go from there
0: well so then you know Spanish pretty well yeah you get along really well with the with all the Latin players
2: yeah, you know, it was, a, it was a big adjustment because, you know, when you learn Spanish in school, it's a lot different than hearing 15 Dominicans going nuts in the locker room. And you can, you can even talk to some of the Mexicans on a team brand new to professional baseball, and they don't even know what the Dominicans are talking about. <laughs> everybody's got different accents and slang and grammar. And so that, that takes a long time to get used to. I can definitely speak it really well. Um, understanding it with them sometimes is a little bit touch and go but it's, it's definitely a lot further along than most of the other baseball players that are American. So it's definitely helped me learn more Spanish in the process.
0: You know, and it's kind of funny, and we'll talk a little bit more about this later with Kristen as well. Um, we watched Narcos. We watched the whole season of Narcos in like a week and a half. And I know enough Spanish. I've been in food service for 25 years, and I can order a burrito. That's about the best I can do. Um, but you hear what I hear what they're saying, and the translations are different. You know, I'm like, that doesn't sound like – F word doesn't sound like mommies are, you know, a it, it It's different. So I can understand where the where the, where the language would be a little bit different than the translation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of context involved, and it does make it pretty darn tricky at times.
0: So where were you on draft day for the Padres? Ooh.
2: I don't know if I remember.
1: Where you were on draft day? Yeah, we had a we had
2: a draft party. Oh, you're right. We did. We had a draft party yeah. at his parents' house. <laughs> it's been so long now, uh, I've already <laughs> forgotten. But um, yeah, you know, uh, that junior year in college was really crazy. Um, you know, I was coming into it with uh, a little bit of a hype, even, especially after the first game of the season. And I turned in a really good showing, had met with most all the scouts on all the different uh, major league clubs, met with a lot of scouting directors. Um, from what I was told, most of them were looking at me between around the second and third round of the draft going into uh, 2014, and and I, I felt really good about that. And I remember uh, about three and a half, four weeks in, I ended up pulling my lat, and uh, that out for about three weeks just as a small little muscle strain that just couldn't get over it and tried to come back really quick and came back in a game, pulled it again, and so then took another three weeks off and then finished out the last uh, – three or four weeks of the season, pitching well, but then obviously the draft's coming around the corner, like, hey, your stock's drop, dropped a lot. Just be aware of that. You're probably going to go more between the fifth and the tenth round. And I was like, all right, I'm okay with that. And uh, Justin Bachman was the uh, scouted draft and scout out in the Northwest. And uh, I remember I got a call um, from the Padres front office, uh, I believe the day before the first round of the draft. And they basically called me and asked me if I would be willing to take the slot money in between the uh, sixth and the eighth round. And I told him, absolutely. And i like, all right, well, if you fall that far, uh, we're going to take you there. So hopefully, hopefully you fall that far, but we'll see. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And uh, obviously, first round of the draft goes by, and then that second day is the day when we're getting ready for everything. Right. And, you know, really hoping for that. And obviously, uh, that didn't happen. But there, there was some reasoning behind that, I like to think at least, because that was the year when they officially changed the CBA allotment and started getting 10 times more stringent on what they could offer and staying within those boundaries. And so that fifth round came around and a bunch of clubs started signing fourth and fifth year seniors and, you know, screwing them and giving them $1,000 signing bonuses right. so that they could take that one hundred and fifty to $350,000 to help sign their high schooler in the second or third round who yeah. wants over a million. Oh and that once everybody started doing that everybody started following suit and so a bunch of guys just completely dropped into that 10th to 30th round standpoint and uh yeah so i was at home and trying to figure out what was going on i was i was freaking out for the most part i would say she she could probably agree with that i was was pretty frustrated but um i remember i think i got a call from my agent um in the early 20 rounds and he basically uh laid out two different offers that I had on the table between uh, Padres and the Red Sox. And basically, it was about saying yes or no to the Red Sox since they were picking first. And um, even though they were actually offering more, um, I really loved the idea of being able to play for a California team and be in spring training in Arizona, growing up in California my whole life, rather than going to spring training all the way over to Florida, at least the way i mind operated back then. And so I told them I'd rather go with the Padres, and lo and behold... 25th round comes along, and they draft me, and we were really excited
0: about that. So how long have you guys been together? That That's just going to be a
1: whole litany
0: of questions that are going to come after that.
2: I'm just going to introduce Kristen here and let her get her first sound bite <laughs>
1: um, So we've been together since 2013, so it's been almost seven years. Yeah. So, so we've been um, married for... Uh, about four and
0: a half of those seven. Wow yeah, me and my wife have been well, I'm I'm fifty. My wife's uh older than me and we've only been married for four years. So you guys have been together for a long time. And so, you know, we're gonna get more into this a little bit later on with the uh, with the questions in quarantine, but I wanted to be respectful. Travis, you don't know Wes, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't like I wasn't asked some pretty crazy questions on like about first kiss and who asked who out on a date and how that all went, but we'll see how that goes as this Yes, <laughs> we
2: continue. Hey, it's, it's it's your show, so you get
0: to meet wherever you want to go. Well, I really, I, we really try to be respectful and uh, kind to our guests, and also we don't want to, you know, we don't know a particular persuasion. No, we, we just don't want to upset you, you know. So we don't want to ask a wrong question. That's why I wanted to send the questions out at first. And you know, I'm getting kind of stir crazy here in the quarantine, so I'm like ah, over sensitive to maybe some of the questions I ask. So they're pretty simple, but so you then you go to Eugene. You're one of the last Eugene Emeralds probably in professional baseball.
2: Yeah, there's not a lot of us left, let alone just anybody before uh, when Preller came and took over. There, There's very few, especially in the minor leagues. I think it's literally just me, uh, Geddes, and Huffman. And that's it. And then I think McGrath as well, and obviously Huffman and McGrath were rehabbing, so, and McGrath had already made it, so there's only three guys from that group that's still here that hasn't made it to the big league yet. So, We've seen a lot of guys coming back.
0: And Eugene in Portland, they're about an hour and a half away, so you kind of feel comfortable being up there in the Northwest, yeah?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I made a lot of friends and a lot of almost second families between playing in the Northwest League and different things like that and then the uh, West Coast League for college summer ball. So it was really cool to get to play in Eugene and go play Salem and even Tri-Cities and see a lot of friends who lived around in that area coming to games and kind of seeing everything come together and getting that. I think I even had, like, one really cool game where I played in Hillsborough, and I think I had, like, five of my teammates from that past season come out and all hang out, and it, it was a really cool experience.
0: That's sweet. That Hillsboro field is all AstroTurf, yeah?
2: Yep, yeah, yeah, it's all AstroTurf. That's, I think, the newest field out of all of them, and they did a really good job out there putting that all together, especially for the Northwest
0: League. Yeah, they had the they had the All-Star game there a couple of years ago. Okay, so the, the 2015, your first full season – you start in Tri-Cities, you go to Fort Wayne, you end up in Lake Elsinore, and then you hit a wall. So what happened once you got to Lake Elsinore? Because that's in 2015.
2: Yeah. There was a lot of stuff going on there. Um, you know, all of, uh, pretty much the entire season, the year before, in 2014, with Eugene, I was relieving out of the pen. And in some ways, I actually kind of liked that, because, you know, I, I do better face than a guy once, maybe twice, not three or four times, but um i remember i think it was in the spring training of 2015 my first spring training they came up and basically said hey you know we want you to become a starter and uh we we think you can do it and on top of that it it will probably be starting in short season more than likely because we're going to have a bunch of college arms and they're going to be on innings limits and so the guys that we have already that we know how many innings and how many pitches you've thrown we feel more comfortable making starters and i was like all right well that's what i'm going to do and i think uh started doing that and extended and actually got called up to Lake Elsinore for one game back in, I think, April, and then came back down the next day. Pitched well, though, so I felt good about that. And went to Tri-Cities and pitched well there and got the opportunity in Fort Wayne. Only pitched, I think, for about a week, week and a half there, three games, and then got the call up to Elsinore. And So that was really cool for me. And I think I just kind of hit a wall. Um, I was getting tired. Um, they were really trying to make me focus on just throwing two pitches for at least the first time through the lineup before throwing a third and I felt like it was making me less effective. And on top of that, my velocity had dropped a bunch. I think there were some games where I was 82 to 85. Ah. It was, it was that. And uh, it wasn't like I was hurt. It was just, I was tired from the whole season and that was my first time doing a full season and what that all looked like, especially as a starter. And so um, that was obviously, I think the worst numbers at any level i would had. And so I really just kind of hit a wall there and um, moving forward, I think it was a good, good thing that I decided to end up coming from the pen.
0: So then 2015, when did you have, uh, how did you know you Uh, needed Tommy John surgery?
2: uh, So um, everything went fine at the end of 2015, worked hard the whole off season and about two or three days before uh, reporting for camp was just throwing a Uh. live game at my high school field and just kind of throwing around and uh, didn't even do it, throwing anything hard. I was just throwing a, 3-0, a 3-0, get over curveball, just to throw for a first strike nice and easy, and kind of felt a little bit of a pop, and arm was hurting, and so the next day, called the Padres and let them know what happened, went down, got an MRI, and got everything there, and had some doctors look at it when I got to spring a couple days later, and basically made the decision to uh, get Tommy John surgery, and I got that on March 9th. The The big thing with me was, when they actually did the MRI and everything like that, there wasn't actually a full tear, or even really a half tear. Okay. It was diagnosed as a strain which i'd had before but they did a stress test with the x-rays and noticed that the gap between my bones where the ligament would be was significantly uh, more space than compared to like my other elbow and more than they see normally and so they felt like while they thought rest and rehab might work it would only be a matter of time before i had the same issue again so then i had to make the decision whether i wanted to do that or just roll the dice and get it right away and I felt like if there was ever a time to do it, it'd be now because any later in my career, it's only going to make it harder. So I decided to do that.
0: You know, a lot of times you guys will have that strain and they'll get the platelet-rich, you know, they'll elect rehab. They'll get the platelet-rich injections and eventually just down the, you know, pushing the can down the road and then having to get it done a little bit later when really that's a great idea. It's just, I feel like I need it now. They gave you that option, right? Did they kind of give you the option?
2: Yeah, they they didn't do anything with uh, PRPs with me. But they did give the option of resting in rehab if that was something I wanted to do. Most of us players and guys who I've talked to, though, for the most part, they kind of look at that as the kiss of death, right. trying to do the PRPs, because you basically never hear it working out, hardly ever. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's still better than surgery, but unfortunately most people end up getting surgery anyway. So because Tommy John is a rehab process of a year and a half as it is, or even a, a year and a quarter if you're lucky – If you do that, you're not going to realize that something's wrong for at least another four more months. So that's four more months you could have been playing. So it really depends on kind of your schedule. You know, if you have an issue happen in late July and you want to try and rest and rehab, and if it doesn't work out, then in November you can get the surgery, then that's fine. Because either way, you you were probably, whether you got Tommy John then or later, you were going to miss the next year. But at least you can be ready for the following year.
0: Okay, so who were you at? Who was at the complex when you were getting rehab? When you were rehabbing the uh, the arm? What was that again? Who uh, who was at the rehab? Who was at the complex when you were doing rehab?
2: Oh man, everybody. Uh, probably the, the biggest person you would know would be uh, Chris Paddock. He was there, and uh, he'd gotten it just shortly after me. I was also there with uh, Elliot Ashbeck as yep. well. He was rehabbing Tommy Johnson only about a month after me. Um, I'm blanking on some of the names right now, but, I mean, we had guys like Seth Lucio, a couple other guys. I mean, we had a lot of Tommy John surgeries that year, too. I think at least eight or nine, if not more, that were all there, and it was tough. We had an incredible PT, uh, Ryan Bitzel, for the majority of that time, who was basically in charge of 25, 30 guys, and he was working. 12, 16 hours every day, just nonstop. We finally brought in uh, one of our other trainers, Tanner, to help him out right at the end of my rehab. But, um, yeah, you know, there was a lot of guys there, and it's a, it's a tough time to be going through something like that during the summer in Arizona because spirits aren't too high at uh, spring training complexes in the summers of Arizona because nobody wants to be there, let alone because of the, weather, but because of the, the level. And so it's a, it's a very uh, mental grind during that time.
0: Well, that's kind of goes into my next question. Everyone talks about, yeah, there's the physical rehab, but there's the mental side and the emotional side of rehab. And when you have doubts, you don't know what's going on. Um, talk about that and what really you used and who you leaned on to get you through that, that point.
2: Absolutely. Um, yeah, the mental grind was way harder than the physical grind, for sure. Uh, probably in the very beginning, the physical part was harder just because of the pain and things like that. But uh, I think the hardest part for me um, was... One, knowing that I was going to be apart from my family and my wife for such a long period of time. Um, I'll never forget this quote my uh, wife told me a while back. And she says she ended up to not see me uh, for six months, not 18. (laughs) Which was more than fair hard to say. So at this time,
0: you're back. I'm sorry, Kristen. At this time, you're back in Thousand Oaks. You are back in California.
1: Yeah. So he called me like... I don't know. He had just gone out to Phoenix and he was like, they're telling me it's going to be 18 months to two years of rehab. And so I told him like, I'm like, okay, well then I have to find a way to come out there. And initially, um, he wasn't sure about that. And so we had conversations about it, but that was one of the things I told him was
0: I signed up not
1: to see you for six months. Like baseball season fine, but like, I'm not doing 18 months (laughs) to two years long distance. So, um,
2: yeah, we can probably tell you that story, too, in
1: a yeah, bit yeah, but uh, how
2: I ended up out there. As far as some of the more difficult mental grinds for me, I think the hardest part, and this is similar for some guys, but everybody goes through it in a different way, is when you start throwing that ball again, you're so excited, but you have to constantly be stressing your elbow. Because if you don't throw, if you don't stress it enough, then you're not actually getting it stronger. But if you stress it too much, then you could hit you know, a setback, which is like the worst thing you can do during the rehab process. And so I was always so afraid of that setback that I was having a real hard time pushing through some of the growing pains that come with it, you know, because for the majority of my rehab, every time I threw the ball, you know, harder than 40 feet, it didn't feel great. You know, it felt sore, shaky, or it hurt. And some guys, you know, come back and they're like, my arm feels great. i don't feel a thing of pain. And some guys come back and they're like, oh yeah, my elbow hurts all the time. And, you know, and it hurts exactly where, right where they had surgery. And so then that plays mental games with your mind where you're like, oh, no, is it hurt or is this just a surgery? Because it could be either. And so that that's the hardest thing to get over is to just be able to in the process of it all and just believe that things are going to get better.
0: You know, we had Mason Fioli on uh, literally like the week that he had Tommy John. And he, it was such a serious interview. Usually we like to keep it light and have fun and have a good time, but it was so serious. And he was just, we felt the, the doubt, the anxiety. We felt the uncertainty in his life. And we actually ended up having another episode with him where we talked about music and and everything else. And about six months later, and it was a totally different person. Totally, you know, lights, you know, he's already starting to throw again. He just started throwing again. And so I understand that. That just the uncertainty, the anxiety that you have is just my career. Is it over? Is what's gonna you know what's it gonna take? I'm away from my wife. So then you come back 2017. You're in Tri Cities. Was Carter Cap in Tri Cities when you were there in 2017?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I, I rehab with him for a while. Um, I don't think he was there. I don't think he was in Tri Cities. I know me and uh, me and Ashbeck were there together rehabbing, but I don't think Carter was.
0: We had Elliot on the uh, on the podcast last year.
2: Nice, yeah. I was with, obviously, uh, with Carter both in high A and triple A in, um, in 2018, but we can save that for a little bit here down the road.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, 2018, you make the Midwest All-Star Team with Aaron Lesher, Nick Margavichis, Luis Camposano. How was that experience?
2: Uh, it was a great experience. You know, I'd always wanted to make an All-Star Team in pro Bowl. I always thought that was a really cool kind of feather in your cap. But, um, honestly, that was probably the most mentally difficult part of my career were those first uh, five months of 2018. You know, I'd, I'd had a really good showing in short season at the end of 2017. Obviously, I'd already made it to high A back in 15, and felt like I was, you know, in a position to where, you know, this is, this is a year I'll probably, you know, I was hoping to go. They told me I was going to be in the season for a week or two and as long as my arm felt good, I'd be going to high A back in 17, even though that didn't end up happening. But, um, you know, coming into spring training, you know, I was like, all right, worst case scenario, I'll break in high A, and maybe if I impress some people, I'll get a chance to break in double A. And, you know, spring training rolls through and do really good, have a really good showing, and then get told I'm going to extend it. And I'm like, I'm frustrated and down by that. You know, I last year was the first year I ever broke camp in my entire professional baseball career, which when I tell people that, they can't even believe it sometimes. When they really look at everything going, that possible, but you know that's just how how the ball rolls sometimes in pro ball. But you know, so I get told I'm going to it and then I'm there for about five or six days, give or take. And uh, then I get a call, and I basically get the call. It's like, hey, uh, their bullpens getting destroyed out in Fort Wayne right now because of all the snow, yeah. and uh, need somebody up there to, to help them out. And so you're going there. And I was. I was, like, excited to get out. It's extended, but really frustrated that I was going to Loway Because, of course, I was the oldest guy there by at least two or three years.
0: Right. You were the grandpa.
2: You know, like, I was, I was Travis. Some of those guys. I was in, like, some of these college guys, I was in Lowe when they were still in high school. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I couldn't believe it. But went there, um, pitched really well, and just kept wondering, you know, when, when am I going to get that chance to uh, – myself at a higher level and I kept getting told just keep doing what you're doing it's just a matter of time and then slowly but surely it turned into you know our farm system is packed right now and there's just no openings and so um, obviously nothing changed until all the way at the last month of the season in August but um, I think uh, that all-star game was really cool but bittersweet at the same time because i heard someone tell me that I think in the last 25 years I was the oldest player ever to make the Midwest League all-star <laughs> There's Ooh. nobody that old right. that hasn't got <laughs> their boot up by that time, and so I was, I was like, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Right. And yeah. so, uh, but it was, it was also a challenge too because any pitcher will tell you, it doesn't matter how good you are, pitching's still difficult, and anybody can beat you on any given day at any one of these levels. And so it was a little bit harder for me because it was like I have no room for error, because it's like you, you, you can't win at that situation because you have to be better than everybody else. Yeah. If, yeah. if you don't do well, it looks really bad. And even if you do well, it's kind of expected of you. And right. so that was a lot of pressure when it came to my experience and my age pitching at that level for so long. It would be different if it was for two or three weeks, but of course it was for four months.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, you don't, you know, this is what we always say on this podcast about you, and, and we say it often is like you don't possess that ninety-five mile an fastball. You don't have the. You're not on the top prospect list, but every single level you have been in, you have performed and performed well, particularly in you know uh, hitters. The last all the all the divisions in the Padres system, the Cali League, uh, the Texas League, and in the Pacific Coast League are all hitter environments, particularly Amarillo and and El Paso. And you perform well without having that devastating fastball or just a crazy, crazy curveball. So when did you when did you start kind of developing that? Looking at the guy in the on deck circle, studying the hitters, you know, in the in the batter's box and how they're taking pitches. I know I, I read an article. I think it was with Madfriars, our friends at Madfriars. Um, you talk about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, even when I was in high school, I would even sometimes go to other teams' games on my own just by myself to watch some of the better hitters there to get an idea. And, I mean, I think that that translated into college and then from there into pro baseball. But I think it it didn't really start to click for me until I started coming out of the pen. And it didn't really start to click for me until 2018 when I really started looking at how how am I going to get these guys out because I'm going to be trying to prove that I can get these guys out, but I need to prove that I can get them out in a way that I can still get guys out at the higher levels. Yeah because there's a lot of people who can have success in the Midwest League that are not going to have sex- success in the Texas league or in the Pacific coast league. And so I really started focusing on all sorts of things, whether it was, what kind of leg kick did they have, where their hands were in position of their bodies? Why did they take that pitch? What are they looking for? You know, what's the situation of the game? Are they, are they trying to make something happen or what's their situation in the game? Are they 0 for two to where they're stressing to get that hit? Or are they three for three where they're really excited and they're, and I can't wait to you know just turn on something here, and I'm feeling great, you know, because for me the the best hitter I can face face is the hitter that's either stressing or the hitter that is trying to hit a home run. Right. If I'm either one of those guys, it's it's a walk in the park to try and get them out. It's the guy who's really loose, relaxed, goes up there with a very simple plan, not trying to do anything special. They're the ones that are the really difficult outs for me with my kind of repertoire. So I think uh, going into 2018, that's kind of where I started figuring out, you know, how am I going to try and get these guys out? And also, you know, I was still working on getting my velocity back in 2018. And I think the majority of the season, I was just 87, 88, a couple days where I threw a few 89s, I think one day where I touched 90. But, you know, it was, I pretty much sat in that 86 to 89 range and made it work. And I think the, the big thing that helped me was that last year in 2018, the velocity finally started to get better and better started having a lot of games where I was 991 992 touching 93 and so suddenly it was like all right this works and I'll, I'll never forget I even had a few batters come up and I think I even had had a Gavin Lux come up to me after a game when we faced uh, Tulsa and he's like when was the last time we faced you <laughs> we, looked we looked at the scouting report on you and they said you were you threw like 86 87. And I was looking at the board and you were throwing like 92 and it looks like it's 98 out of your hand. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. He's like, I'm like, I'm glad you guys didn't update that scouting report. Last <laughs> <day."> <laughs> you know? So, but that's the one thing I've, I've started to notice and I've started to get really great feedback from a lot of the great catchers in our system, as well as even players on the other team that I've been known I'm playing against for three, five, six years now that, you know, even on days when it's 87, 88, a lot of them tell me that when it comes out of the hand, just from the slot that it comes out of, and the way that I use my off-speed, that they feel like they're facing a guy throwing at 98 miles an hour. And for so long in my professional career, up until 2019, I was afraid of my fastball because I thought it was a weakness. Right. So right. I could locate it really well, but I never thought that I could blow it by people for the most part. And it wasn't until 2019 when I had catchers like Luis Torrance and... Kyle Overstreet and Webster Revis and even Mejia and Allen where they started going, No, this is the time where you throw your fastball. Keep throwing your fastball. It's really good. And I started seeing that and kind of tweaked my arm angle just a little bit and suddenly the velocity was there and suddenly it became a weapon, which only made my life easier. Because yeah. you don't throw ninety miles an hour, you're, to, to do what a guy throws ninety eight miles an hour to do, it's a lot more difficult.
0: So are you hitting that 92, 93 uh, often or just on occasion?
2: I would say just on occasion right now. I think uh, for the most part, I'm around 88 to 91. I think my first outing in spring training this year, I was ninety, ninety-one, uh, And then I think the majority of the other outings uh, in spring training, I was around 88, 89. Well, I'm, so, just,
0: I'm sorry. I, 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 you know, in the intro there, I said you didn't hit 90. That's that's the scary report I had on you. Okay, um, that's the sc-
2: I, you need to keep circulating that so that all the other people <laughs> listening don't think I throw very hard. And that way I can surprise them even more.
0: Well, well, I only know a couple, maybe a couple of people in the organization will listen to the podcast. And that's usually Sam in the middle of the Texas League somewhere. So so my quick question to you is, you move around a lot. Even in 2019, you started in uh, Lake Elsinore, hit Amarillo. You ended up in El Paso. Do they give you all those uh, frequent flyer miles? Um, They
2: can, depending on what airline you fly out of. That's the challenge here is, you know. One day it might be Delta, the next day it might be American. Kind of the wrong joke that everybody has is if you get frequent flyer miles for either of those two, you're really never going to even earn a flight throughout the whole season because obviously most of that only happens in AAA where you actually fly a lot. So most guys get uh, their mileage numbers for, like, Southwest. If you're lucky at the end of a full season, you might be able to get a free fly out of it, which is nice. But for me personally, it was difficult because we learned something for the first time as an organization, not just me. But it is really hard last minute to get flights in and out of Amarillo. (laughs) <laughs> i mean really hard it is just and there get the is
0: chickens over there. we'll be good <laughs> yeah.
2: and so i think the, the first time i got called up to el paso from amarillo last year uh, i got told uh, right after the game probably at about like uh nine o'clock or something i think because i think it was like a sunday or something so it was a day game they're were like we're gonna try and get you a flight out tonight go pack your stuff up so i'm packing my stuff up and then like an hour later i go hey so when's my flight oh, we're still working on it. okay hour later hey uh, do we know where my flight is now it uh, doesn't look like we're going to get one tonight, so we're looking tomorrow morning. I'm like, all right, cool. And an hour later, suddenly it's like 1 a.m. in the morning, and they call me in, and they're like, hey, we can't find any flights. Uh, here's some money for an Uber to a rental car agency and some money for the rental car. Uh, you got to drive.
0: Oh
1: my and
2: I'm God. like, okay, that sounds like fun. So, you know, rented a rental car and drove all the way to El Paso from Amarillo and probably got there about 530 and just kind of joined in right into the game part of the things and and then the same thing happened another time when I was in uh I think it was Albuquerque uh, I got told I was going back down to Amarillo because we had a guy get option from the bigs and uh they're like yeah you know it's only six six hours figured you know that's the same amount of time it takes in a flight anyway so here's a rental car you can just drive back oh. so I that twice last year amongst all my jumping and moving
0: oh man you know and that and that kind of begs the question, like, did you have any any time where one of the coaches, you know, when you get moved up a level, um, well, with your age it might be a little different, but when you get moved up a level, you know, coaches will have a kind of a fun way to like say, hey, you're not pitching tonight. What, 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 what? Yeah, you're going to Amarillo or, you know, oh, you're going to El Paso or you're going somewhere. Did Did you get any of those? Or, or is it more like, okay, we need you in a car, we need you on a plane, you need to get out of here now. <laughs> Uh, you
2: know, I think every manager likes to do that, depending on the relationship they have with the player, too. Um, most of my stuff was pretty quick and last-minute, even the first call-up I ever had between short season and low A. You know, I was in the shower when I got a phone call, and it's like, hey, you can't pitch tonight. You've got to go pack up right now if you're like an hour. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So I didn't even get to, like, enjoy it. I think one time any manager had a lot of fun with me was when I was in low A going to high A, and he basically uh, – Called me and he's like, hey, uh, when you slated a pitch, so I'm like, Monday. I'm like, no, I don't have you for Monday. He's like, you sure? I'm like, yeah, these are my days. Monday, he's like, "Well, you think you know the schedule now, so you just get to pitch whenever you feel like it because you're a starter and you came here for short season, you've been pitching well and started giving me a real hard time. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, no, you're not pitching that day. I'm like, okay. He's like, wait, do you want to pitch that day? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> the right answer is. And he's like. I mean, if you want to pitch that day, you can, but I was going to have you pitch in Lake Elsinore that day.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And so I was all excited. And then he even went out to like, when I left the clubhouse or left the manager's office, he gave me a hard time in front of the whole team. He's like, Hey, you know, Travis doesn't like any of you guys. so he's going to go to Lake Elsinore instead uh-huh. and see if, see if those guys will have him instead, you know, goofy things like that. But Wellie obviously got to see me a lot back and forth and tell me a lot that I was going back up to triple A, I think at least three times. And I think, uh, the first time, he was really happy for me, and the next two times, he was like, I really hope I don't see you back here again, because right. <laughs> <laughs> he really cares about his players, and he really cares about, about guys, and he really, he really backs the guys he really cares about, and that's pretty much anybody he coaches, and I think you know he really wanted me up there, and it's it's different when you get sent down because you're not doing well. Right. And what I've had, been really fortunate about is that I've never been sent down I wasn't no you know, every time I got sent down, I was usually on the better third if not one of the best guys pitching during that time period I was there. And so that's a really good feeling, but it's also a really frustrating feeling because, you're like, man, I, I really wanted to stay up there. I was doing good. Why is it me? And so it becomes, you know, tough to keep doing that up and down. Luckily, after that first stint in Amarillo, every time I came back down from El Paso, I was only there for, like, a week, and then suddenly someone got that option, and went right back up there again. And it's like... And it's like you know, like the coaches. I think Edwin one time in Triple A just like, "Racky, where you been? I
0: haven't seen you for a week." Right. You know, like,
2: <laughs> and it just became like a running joke.
0: Well, you know, and 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 AC from what we know, and I've talked to him at the uh, at the Bucky Classic. Very serious. Very like you know, comes from the military background. Like very serious, and my perception of him. So to have him kind of like go like, "Hey, so what? Now you just think you can pitch whenever you want?" Like I would probably take that kind of serious. That
2: wasn't him, though. That was uh, Morales. Ah, uh, okay. I remember Morales back when he was in Fort Wayne, and then the following year, in '15, he was the Lake Elsmore manager for just a little bit, or in '16, Lake Elsmore manager. That was him, actually. AC, when he called me in 18 and told me that uh, I was going up, it was like 1.30 in the morning, and my flight was at 5.30 in the morning, and so I had to drive to the field in the middle of the night and go do that. And I remember I pitched that night. Uh, Through an inning, and then I had to go to San Antonio, and I think I traveled for what thirteen hours, Something like that. Because the it was like thirteen hours of, of travel because of the flight times and the layovers and the and the time change, and uh, I still ended up throwing three innings that night. God. Sure. Uh,
0: <laughs> I remember that that was in the article with uh, with Mad Fryer. I think Ben Davy wrote that with uh, with
2: the- you. Yeah, pitched for four teams in ten days.
0: Oh my God. Okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get done with you here in a minute, Travis, and we're gonna get on to, to 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 Kristen. So you you had a pretty good spring. You were having a really good spring this year before it got shut down. How did you feel? What were they telling you? What were you getting the feeling of of this spring?
2: It was an incredible experience just kind of getting to be in the mix with all those guys, a lot of guys who I played with a lot in years past and then kind of passed me up when I got surgery. And on top of that, it was just a really great experience getting to meet all the new coaching staff because, you know, it's kind of like everybody's slate has been wiped wiped clean and isn't already under contract. And first impressions go a lot more than if, you know, we would have had the same whole crew from last year. And so getting getting to know Tingler and seeing the way that he wants to run the ship and just the way he talks to you is just, it comes across as nothing more than absolutely 100% genuine, which really means a lot to me. I think the first time I met him, I was there about a week and a half before camp was officially starting, and I was the only guy in the locker room, and I was there early, and he just walked right in, pulled up a chair, sat down next to me, and talked to me for 20 minutes, and, and he's like, are you throwing it in? I'm like, yeah. He's like, who are you throwing with him? I'm like, I don't know yet. He's like, well, if you want to play catch with me, you can go out there and throw, and I ended up playing catch with him, and I was supposed to take it easy that day, and obviously that was not the case. <laughs> I was trying to impress. But uh, that, to- that told me everything I needed to know about him and then getting to learn from somebody somebody like Larry Rothschild and somebody with all that experience and, you know, work with him and let him get to know more about what I'm like. I still remember I think he called me before camp even started, before he even met me, and he already talked about he'd gone over a bunch of video with me and wrote a bunch of notes and things he wants to work with me on. It's like just knowing that. You know, your major league pitching coach just calling you, who's never met you before, right. and who's been basically scouting you and looking to get to know you and try to help you means a lot throughout my career. Not really having that opportunity, and you know, going into spring training and being successful uh, was a great feeling because obviously I felt like I needed to do that. Uh, I definitely didn't expect to be striking out as many guys as I as I did in that short period of time. No, I, I was more just hoping for no runs. I, I could have cared less about strikeouts and. Suddenly, I'm like, okay, I'm actually striking out more guys than most. This doesn't yeah. make much sense. So, you had six, six Ks in but...
0: three innings. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, go figure.
0: <laughs> um, but um, going.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it was just uh, frustrating at the same time with everything coming to a halt. You know, gaining all that momentum, feeling really good about everything, and then you know having to go through almost a ten day hiatus of not being able to throw a pen until they reopened the complex and. And, you know, feeling like a lot of the work and a lot of the stuff you built up to kind of went away was really frustrating in that process. And knowing that whenever this next spring training comes, it's going to be really quick, really fast. Right. But um, I just would have liked to have that crescendo of that spring training moving into the season with all the people that I'm trying to, you know, get behind me and know who I am and want to use the league level. because That's the goal here. Uh, so having that cut short is really frustrating when it comes to a momentum standpoint.
0: So what are you doing right now in the, in the off season to kind of stay healthy? One of the questions I have for Kristen is Kristen, have you caught a bullpen
1: with him? Have you caught a bullpen for him? Um, no, I haven't. Uh, we have played catch before <laughs> and it was, I'll say one time we, we played catch one time. That was enough for me to know that you don't catch his bullpens because uh-huh. they are behind that glove when he's throwing that ball. Um, and he was playing catch. Like, he wasn't even, like, throwing 80 miles an hour or 85 or 90 or whatever. <laughs> but it was, yeah. I let him find other guys to throw bullpens. With, so.
0: <laughs> you know, I played, yeah, so, uh... <laughs> so I played in the rec league. And, you know, we we get the M50, and I've been playing since I was 30. And, you know, you get the occasional guy that throws kind of hard. Especially when we were younger and they're like maybe hitting seventy, maybe seventy five and you know, all the other guys in our team are like, Oh, he's throwing eighty nine, he's throwing ninety, but no dude, he's not. That's seventy five. What you know, you go to a ball game and see 90, 95. that's what that looks like. Um who real quick before we get into the questions with Miss Radke, uh, who got you into hunting?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, when you go up in Southern California, you usually don't grow up especially when you're living close to Malibu being much of a hunter or a fisherman. And I don't know, I think it was just from a really young age. I was just, I, I loved fishing and I grew, grew to love hunting too and didn't get to start doing it until my later teenage years, just because of opportunities. But my dad grew up in Chico back when he was growing up and had friends over there. And that's really good duck hunting up there. And so he had a good family friend that would take us out. And so really fell in love with waterfowl hunting. And on top of that, uh, my family has a small cabin up in southwest Montana, and so we do a lot of shooting and hunting up there and love to fly fish. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely an outdoorsman at heart, which you don't see a lot in uh, South California coastal areas.
0: No. So do you surf?
2: Um, try and fail.
0: Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> not, not much of a surfer. Uh, I, I can't stand up. I'm not coordinated enough. So I was a, I was a big, big boogie boarder, big body boarder. Love doing that. Even bodyboarded the wedge a couple times in Newport because I'm an idiot.
0: Uh, yeah, but, that's uh, not smart. Yeah.
2: But, yeah, I took that really seriously and was was a big water guy, though, in high school. I actually played uh, four years of water polo and actually had a couple opportunities to possibly play in college, which was fun. And that was kind of my cross-training sport um, to get in shape with baseball but not have to be thrown all the time.
0: So did the water polo kind of really help with – not with the skill level but with just like the dexterity and uh, – I don't know, maybe movements help you with baseball? Yeah, I think it really
2: helps just with uh, overall, like, physical conditioning, core, especially lower body. You know, you have to tread water the entire practice. You don't get to touch the bottom of the pool. And then on top of that, just the average swimming motion is just, I think, so great for guys' shoulder because it's so low intensity that and low resistance that I think it's actually really good for you.
0: Yeah, just by the way, born and raised in San Diego, I've surfed twice in my life. at it- <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work out for me either. Um, okay, so let's get on to the quarantine questions with Kristen.
1: All right, I'm ready.
0: <laughs> okay, so this offseason so recent. Did Travis get all his honeydew uh, list done before the season
1: started? Yeah, he did. He's actually really good about that. Um, I may have to ask him a couple times, but uh, usually the biggest thing that I want him to do and um, is I want him to – box all of his stuff up. And this sounds very strange, but we have moved six times in the four years we've been married and I have moved it every time. And so this is a way that he gets to help me is that typically I'm moving during baseball season. Okay. So I usually ask him, hey, box everything up before you go. Anything you want to give away, give it away. Um, and he is very good about doing that. So I've, I've appreciated that for sure.
0: So I saw a video of you singing and playing guitar which was very good. So are you a musician? Are you sing singer songwriter for fun or?
1: Yeah. So it's a hobby. Um, I grew up in a musical family. And so I've kind of always done that. My entire family plays instruments and sings and stuff. So um, it's something that I do on the side. I've been a worship leader at a church for the better part of the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So, um, and then I also, this last year, I got to sing professionally for the first time. And I guess when I say professionally, I mean, I actually got paid for it. So that's kind of cool. Um, and it was with a group where we go around and we actually sing Christmas carols. Um, so they book us to go sing Christmas carols or on the holidays. And so that was really fun. Just singing in a quartet of people singing a cappella, and we get to wear this like really old garb and right. stuff. And it's awesome. So Good. I really enjoyed that.
0: Dickensian. Is that the right word? Dickensian kind of garb with the, the yeah. Yeah. Dickensian. Yeah. <laughs> That yeah. is fantastic. Um, so during the season, you now, st- how long have you guys been in Arizona during the season? You stay in Arizona?
1: Yes. So we moved here in 2016 and we've been here ever since. we just decided to make this home base for now. Um, and I stay here and I work full time and I travel and see him. We probably try to see each other every about five to six weeks. We feel like every five weeks we're starting to get cranky. So that's when we're like, okay, it's time to plan a trip. And, um, so it's been kind of fun to figure out where he's going to be because that's why we only use Southwest because they let me cancel flights and rebook them uh, without fees it's Been nice.
0: So do you try to see him in cities that are kind of fun to, to hang out in or is that the thing? <clears throat>
1: um, yeah, sometimes, mostly it's usually uh, I try to see him actually in the home home city that he's in unless there's extenuating circumstances. But um, I usually want to see like where he's playing most of the time what the fan base is like. I want to meet, you know, the the staff of the stadium. I kind of want to see the whole thing, what he's been talking about. And that's been really special because every time I get to see that, then, you know, um, when I go back home and I'm listening to the games every night, I get to kind of picture where he's at and what's going on there. So that's been special. And she's
2: great that way. She actually does listen to almost every single game.
1: Really? Yeah. Which
2: is not something you can say for a lot of baseball wise. Well, and that's when yes. I can tell her, like, I'm not pitching tonight. I'm down. And she's like, that's okay. I'll listen anyways. Right. And I'll never forget the first time I met her. Do you like baseball? And she was like, not oh, really. When you <laughs> watch it, she's like, I've seen, what, like a couple games?
1: I've been to a couple Dodger games, but that's not it. Yeah,
2: now she's the one in the stands with the other baseball wives telling them, no, that's a that's an infield flyer rule, you know. Oh,
0: right, right. <laughs> He's going to throw a 3-2 a, you know, slider here. Hold on. Um, so that's the next question. Do you have any baseball wives in your community there? Or how do you kind of like kill the time, you know, being away from him from those, you know, five or six weeks at a time?
1: Yeah. So um, there's not a lot of baseball wives that I know that are in the Phoenix area, although we do, um, I do know a couple right now who are in Phoenix. Um, but there's an online community that's pretty great. Um, there's a bunch of us uh, girls that have connected over social media. We've created like private groups where we can, you know, talk about things, and and it's great because we can also be like, hey, what have you heard about, you know, flights right now, or what have you heard about this, or, um, hey, we're moving to this new city. What do you think? Are there any resources there? So it's been really great to build community with the girls, um, in that way. And then as far as how I spend my time, I mean, we have a great church and. Uh, I work full-time. I have my brother and sister-in-law are here in Phoenix, so that really helps. And then I have a lot of hobbies, honestly. So I keep myself very busy with my hobbies between music and yoga and just some different things that I do. I try to make sure I'm always working on something and learning something, and that really helps you know, keep me busy during the long months that he's
0: done. So what kind of hobbies other than yoga? Yoga's not a hobby. Yoga is like a workout thing.
1: Oh, it's a hobby for me. Um <laughs> But I, yeah, so let's see, uh, between, aside from yoga, um, I'm just very physically active, so I like doing, I like running, I do yoga, I just started dabbling in um, another fun hobby of, uh, this is going to sound very strange, but contortion, um, so I've been learning that, which has been fun, um, I that's, spend a lot of time, my- that's this
0: thing right here, which. I that- yeah. Kind of if only
2: people yeah. the video for this podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, um, Travis, do you do the yoga with her?
2: Um, I've done it a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not as much as I think she would like me to do. A few years um, ago, he yeah. Did it a few sometimes times. <laughs> I'm a little lazy with that, you know. But a lot of times it's like, you know, I just finished a, a baseball game or just finished a baseball workout, and I don't want to move for the right. next six right. days before bed. And so I'm usually not much of the in the mood for it. But I, I love her, and I love the way that she loves to do all these fun things and take care of herself and constantly finding new ways to better herself. And. Yeah.
0: That's funny. My wife and I were going, well, we do a stretch class at the Y, and then for a while we were doing Pilates, which Pilates is hard. Oh, ah, Oh, my God. I would be like, uh, I can't do it. And you know, we even were doing a TRX class. And if you've ever done TRX, you know, I'm in my – you know, I'm 50 – my wife's a little bit older than I am, but we're in these classes and we're struggling. And these people, are like a lot older than we are, we're like, oh, "This is this is simple." I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't do it." Um, that's funny. So, so now that I know you guys a little bit better, and I can feel a little comfortable asking some of these questions, how did Travis ask you out on a date?
1: The very first one. Yeah, how do you say it? <laughs> um. Okay. So we didn't. How do I explain this? So yeah, we really sure. didn't know each other um, <laughs> when he asked me out. Basically, uh, we were both at a country music festival. Uh, his friends bailed on him, and my friend happened to see him and wanted to to introduce us, even though she didn't know him. So my friend was the one that actually introduced us, and um, we we invited him to hang out with a, a big group of us because uh, his friends bailed on him. Right. So I was like, "Well, let's hang out with us," and so we hung out for the day at this country mu- music festival and later that evening he just you know asked if he was gonna see me again and I told him that was up to him and he asked me out so, <laughs> oh, so <nice. laughs> yeah. Yeah. who uh
0: who was headlining that country music festival
1: oh gosh it was honestly it was its first year of that uh, music festival it's called oak heart so they typically get a lot bigger names now. But at the time, I honestly couldn't tell you because the headliner that year was not um, no, very knows. good. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, so how many how many dates did you guys go on before he tried to kiss you? And that's as far as I'll go.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, to be honest with you, I don't really remember because I, um, at the time, was very... Um, leery of kissing and so i just basically told him at the beginning that i i was waiting a little bit longer to kiss guys when i date them and he respected that and so i honestly don't remember i think it was probably like two months before a month or two before we yeah
0: all right Uh, travis always the gentleman that's so good
2: (laughs) well it's a challenge for me because you know you got over the you know, half the time when she was first meeting me at that country music festival, I was stuck watching the band, and she was able to go in and out of the beer garden, and I couldn't. You know, I was only 20 years old, and oh, she was 23. And, uh, and I was like, man, this girl's out of my league. Even, you know, even when we go to the country <laughs> music bar, that night it became our main plant, place. You know, I'm, I'm wearing black X's all over my hands, and she's got a nice little yellow wristband on, you know. And so that was a constant reminder as it was, and, you know, she'd already gotten her master's in college and was working and living on her own. And I was this kid who still had a year of college left and didn't know what he was doing. And I was like, i got to impress the heck out of this world.
0: (laughs) So you married up. is what you're trying to say. You married up.
2: Oh yes, absolutely. I don't know what she was
0: saying. God bless beautiful women (laughs) and low standards. I tell you, or I wouldn't be married right now. (laughs) Oh man. Believe me, my wife is way more put together than I ever was. And, um, you know, she's very put together. She's very much her own woman, and uh, you know, sometimes that comes back to bite me in the tail. If you know what I mean, she doesn't put up with anything. Um, so, so here at the quarantine, who does all the cooking?
1: We kind of share it, to be honest. Um, because I I have a different, um, I have just kind of some food restrictions and stuff. So I usually do a lot of my cooking, and he usually does a lot of his cooking. Um, but then we also make it a point to cook together a couple nights a week. Um, and so we'll make like a meal together. And so we we kind of both do it. We kind of share it.
0: Yeah! Ooh, 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 what food restrictions? I'm in food service, I need to
1: know this stuff. Oh gosh, it's easier to ask me what I can eat than what I can't. Well, what so, are you allergic to, what are you allergic to? Um, everything. Um, so I'll just say I'm able to eat most proteins except I can't eat red meat. Okay. Um, so I can eat like chicken, turkey, fish. Um, I can eat almost all vegetables, um, except I can't have any starches so no potatoes, no sweet potatoes, and I can't have any grains, so I can't eat rices or any type of grain, um, anything with gluten or anything even without gluten. I can't have any grains whatsoever. Can I take a stab at it? Do you have Crohn's? Um, no, I don't actually. I, I have celiac, but I'm still a little bit of a medical mystery, so still figuring that out it, it,
0: being in food service. And particularly in these past few years, I mean, at, at where I work, it's so important that we have, we have a dietitian. you know, all our food allergy students, you know, we push them to her and then they come and meet us. And then we have a full on meeting with them. What do you have? Uh, can't eat this, can't eat that, can't eat this. Uh, and then they call ahead and then we have a whole section prepared, a whole clean section that we prepare people's food at. So we're not we're not gluten-free, we're gluten f- friendly, which means we can't absolutely guarantee that you're not going to get something in there, but we do we have a uh, safe space for it to be done and uh, it's a big part of of the culinary scene right now is and for now is allergies.
1: Yeah, it's so important to avoid cross contamination and to make people that have food allergies feel like, you really hear them. Um, I always appreciate the restaurants that do that and say, hey, you no, know, we're taking steps to do separate pans, separate area. Um, whenever someone is like, oh, yeah, no, don't worry, gluten, we got it. Like, I'm always a little leery of when they don't take those steps because I don't think they understand. There's cross-contamination and people can get really sick. And so I don't eat out a lot as a result. Um, but that's good because we've saved a lot of money on eating out. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. I get to cook. That. And so I
2: actually
1: um, know how to cook. now. Yeah, no. So he didn't know how to cook. That wasn't his fault. He wasn't. He just didn't learn. Um, and so our second date, um, I had him cook with me, and so that was an eye opener of like, oh, okay, we need to teach you how to cook. And um, and he did. He's been great, and he he cooks all the time now. So that's been nice too. It's it's been a, a fun learning experience for both of us.
0: Okay, so now let's get onto what what are you guys watching. What are we
2: watching? Oh man, we watch a lot of different shows. Uh, things like 911, um, The Rookie. The Rookie. Uh, we'll even go on Grey's Anatomy binges. Actually, she's gotten me sucked into that a lot. Uh,
0: uh, uh, one of the fun binges
2: we've been into lately is the Great British Baking Show. Ah uh, yes, yeah. so, I know that's a whole big fad. We're all having fun with that. It's pretty entertaining, and it got her into wanting to bake all the time. So I'm not complaining. Um, that that only makes my life more enjoyable. So I'm happy with that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I, I bake with alternative flours, and so I make it so that we can both eat it. So it's been really fun finding desserts that I can make for both of us that we can eat. And then we'll put on the baking show, and we'll cook and bake while we're watching it. And yeah, and I'll go fun.
2: over there and pretend like I'm grading her and
0: telling her how many <laughs> <be laughs> minutes that.
1: Paul and uh, Mary are her, very yeah. particular. <laughs>
0: so. You know, my wife got me into that show a little bit, and it's, you know, I, we don't like, you know, reality-based TV shows because they're just so much formulated drama But what I found about the baking show was like, they're so nice. They're like, everyone's nice to each other. And it's such a British show.
2: It's a good feel good show. Yes, Good good thing to lighten the day after you watch something heavy.
1: Yeah. They're nice to each other. That was one of the first things that we both noticed. We are like, wow, the person won and everyone's like hugging them and telling them great job and how much they like what they made. And I'm just, it was amazing. It's so different from American TV shows.
0: Yeah. So, um, what, you know He's around the house a lot now. What is one of the things that it just drives you batty that he does? <laughs> I can think of
2: one that's just going to say. He already knows
1: this. And it has nothing to do with him being around the house. And he's doing it right now. Um, and no one can see it. But he's a nail-biter. And it drives him absolutely bonkers. Um, oh, because I'm somewhat of a very clean person germaphobe and especially with the virus i'm like get your hands out of your mouth you know (laughs) because you don't know um i've been trying to work on that but i love him anyway even with all the nail biting
0: well that's a funny thing that you you're a nail biter uh and you use your hands as i mean do you ever like because i do it all the time and i I work with lemon on occasion i'm like oh my god i'm why do i torture myself doing this Do you find that you've occasionally bit your nail and maybe, like, can't throw the ball as good or or anything like that?
2: Uh, There's been a few times when I've done things like that. Obviously, um, these three fingers are the most important for that. And so, um, if I do something, I make sure that I'm not, like, pitching later that day because they do go back pretty quick. (laughs) So, I'm I'm very bad at it, though. Like, I, I bite them really, really bad. Not just, like, when someone's like, oh, you bite your nails. It's like, oh, my gosh, you really bite. (laughs) You know So uh, I do have to be careful With that sometimes Uh, The only thing I've found That it really affects My baseball career with Is that I haven't been able To learn a very good Knuckleball yet So uh, If I ever end up Needing to do that I should probably Let my nails grow
0: Really? Yeah Because you need A good grip on the ball Yeah
2: That's what people tell me They usually put their nails In between the seams That's why you had guys Like you know Phil Negro Actually filing his nails And you know That one day When he accidentally Had it there In his back pocket
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um. Okay, so what? So, Travis, you're a big prankster. Yeah? You know, everybody
2: says that about me, and it's pretty funny because I'm really not that much of a big prankster. I'm I'm more of a, I like to give people a hard time sometimes, and I think it's kind of the little brother syndrome in me. You know, I had an older sister, so instead of being the responsible, look after you, big brother, I would be annoying, embarrass you, little brother, and I think that's become a part of my personality a little bit.
0: Okay, because I caught the Sam, you know, I caught the Sam interview last week, and I'm going to be honest, I reached out to uh, uh, Blake Rogers and said, hey, I'm talking to Travis later on, let's prank him. And he's like, oh, I gotta, I'm got. i on my Madden, he has his Madden team, I guess, the the, the uh-huh. team. He's like, I have to be online or I can't. I'm like, all right, well, we're talking to him at 5.30, he'll probably go a little later if you want to, and he never got back to me. But I was trying to prank him with something like that. Oh, that would have been great. Have to think about that in the future because this will be the first time of many times that we talk to you. We hope. Um, So in that case, you never really pranked him, then, have you, Kristen?
1: Um, No, I I'm actually not much of a prankster myself, and he doesn't really prank me. So when I heard the thing with Sam, that was the first time I'd heard of it, and um, because
2: well, I know better than to prank her, right? Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, and honestly, like. he, he'll tell me about, you know, a lot of things about baseball life, but, you know, sometimes, you know, guys will be guys, and they're going to prank each other, and that's just, you know, part of his personality. I've seen him do, you know, stuff with his family and his sister, and so I kind of know it's in there, but um, but I have gotten a chance to surprise him before, and I think that's my my little pride and joy is being able to do things, and he, he doesn't know it's coming. Um, and so one of those things was in, what was it? It was the 2017, 2018 season. And he was in Fort Wayne. He'd been in Fort Wayne for a while. And he kept telling me, you know, let's wait until you come and see me because we don't know, you know, I might get moved up, and you know, so let's wait. And I'm like, okay, well, we kept waiting. And all of a sudden, it had been three months and we hadn't seen each other. And and I was like, okay, I'm done waiting. So in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to plan this out. I contacted another baseball wife and we planned out this whole surprise. And um, when I got to the stadium, um, the... The staff got in on it. They hid me down in the place where the mascot usually stays. And so I was hiding down there, like, most of the game. And at the very end of the game, they brought me out onto the field. And they had me, like, you know, kind of run after him. And he, like, you know, I called after him. And he turned around. His buddy was standing there with him and, like, saw it was me. Right. And, like, Travis was, like, in shock. He was looking around, like, looking at me.
2: Yeah, I like looked at her and then looked away and almost kept walking for a moment. Yeah. I'm like, that can't be her. <laughs> <It was laughs> probably else like her.
1: So anyway, that was really that was really special and like having the whole stadium staff in on it and it just you know, baseball is such a family, and so yeah. that was really a nice experience and I like I liked being able to surprise him. So not a prank, but a nice surprise um,
0: after all. Well that kind of just generates another question for me. How did he propose to you?
1: That is a long story, but it's a good one. Um, so I'll try to shorten it. Um, he, so we had a couple really special places, um, for us. Um, our second date, he took me hiking. Our first date was at just like a random cheesecake factory near us. Um, and then there was another, um, many, many nights that we actually went to this place called borderline bar and grill, which ended up being the place of the uh, mass shooting in thousand Oaks. Um, which we absolutely, like, our hearts go out to all the victims and families of that. And if I hadn't Um, gotten
2: surgery, we probably would have been there
0: that night. Oh, my God.
1: So we just, we love that community. But anyway, so he proposed by, he surprised me. I was actually with a friend um, helping her. I was doing photos for her. um, Photography is just a side hobby. So I was doing photos for her. Um, we were doing a a little mini photo shoot and we were walking back to her car and he had told me he was working that day. So I just, you know, didn't expect to see him. And then um, all of a sudden I hear this country music playing really loud and there's this, you know, boy standing outside of his truck and he's wearing, you know, his cowboy hat, cowboy boots. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Travis. And um, so he asked me to go on a date and I said, okay. And I was a little bit like, is this like what's happening here. Like I didn't expect to see you. So he drove us to, um, the lot of the country music festival. We took a picture there. He was like, what happened here? And I was like, we went to Oak Hart. This is where we met. Then he drove me to cheesecake. We took a picture there. He's like, what happened here? So this is our first date. Drove me to borderline. What happened here? You know, and on and on. And, um, and then he drove me into his, uh, his parents used to live in this really nice gated area. Um, and so he drove me into that area um, he's like, I just want to like, you know, look at houses and stuff. I'm like, okay, because that was something we used to do. It's like, oh, what do you like? What do you like? You know, like we weren't actually gonna buy anything, but, um, and he drove me to this, the the side of this hill, and we got out of the car. And he's like, let's just walk to the top. I'm like, okay. So we walked to the top, and I get to the top, and there's literally like, it's a little side park with a view of the whole um, lake area, and it's covered in rose petals like, down the path, um, and there's literally pictures and mason jars hanging from the trees and pictures wow. of us hanging somewhere, um, and so we walked down the path, and there's this, um, uh, friendship bracelet, and he's like, with this bracelet, will you be my best friend? And I said, yes, and we kept walking, and there was a pair of, um, cowgirl boots sitting there, and he said, with these boots, will you be my dance partner? And I was like, yes, <laughs> obviously, um, did you have any
0: idea? Do you start to put it together? I mean, I was,
1: I was like, at this point, if you're if you're not proposing, you're setting a really high bar. Like, <laughs> I just, I kind of, I didn't want to get my hopes up, but I also didn't want to like, is this happening? Like, I so I'm like, let's just go with it. So, um, he walked me to the edge with a view, and he was so nervous that, um, he like paused, and I'm, and I, so I asked him, I'm like, can I kiss you, or you know? And he's like, oh. And I'm like, okay. So then he got down on one knee and he had a whole speech and he proposed. And interestingly enough, the girl that I was taking photos of earlier that day was in the bushes taking photos of me and us during our proposal. Oh, so, my
0: God. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. And then, like, after I said yes and hugged him, a bunch of people just, like, jumped out and started cheering and stuff. They were just random people in the neighborhood. But I was kinda <laughs>
0: Um, I don't know you, but congratulations. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah, because they were, um, a couple people who were helping out were, um, like, held them back. Like, hey, don't go over there right now. Um, And then afterwards, like, we went and told his family. And he said, you know, I asked your dad for permission, but I haven't asked your mom. We need to go tell her right now in person. I'm like, great. That's a great idea. So we drove to my parents' house. And I had plans to, like, tell my mom. Hey, I just got engaged. Um, And... They open the door and everyone yells "surprise!" and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was a. Um, they were actually asked to come uh, with the in- intention of it being a surprise birthday party okay. because my birthday was in like a couple weeks. But it was actually a surprise engagement party that they told them that's what it was when they got there. So it was a we had an engagement party right then. So. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, so he planned all of that. So I'd say it was a pretty good proposal. Not bad. Not bad,
2: Travis. Well, you know, most of the guys I know uh, kind of want to punch me in the face for it. Right. <laughs> she tells their girlfriends the story or their wives the story, and then the wife kind of hits them on the side of the back and goes, you just took me to a nice dinner. What's wrong with you?
0: Right. <laughs> you didn't you know, do what Travis did. It, it's funny because my, my wife um, got and It sounds like he really hit it out of the park with, with the woman you chose. and and. I don't just say that because it's just it felt I can feel it from you guys. With my wife, like we were already in escrow, in into a condo, we would you know purchased her ring together. We had my ring made, so making it a surprise was really hard to do. And she she said, "Hey, if you put me up on the on the board at Pecco Park, I'm gonna say no." And you know, I I was wasn't gonna do that because I think that's kind of kooky, which is kind of weird from a baseball fan. So I conspired with her brother and we were sent uh, to the partnership weekend uh, during spring training. And I got together with the Padres and they're like, okay, you're going to play our, uh, our play ball kid. So you're going to come out and you're going to say play ball. They don't do that in spring training or they, they didn't do it back in 2015. And so I'm like, honey, yeah, they asked us to play, you know, be the play ball kid. And we're like, okay. We went out there and bam! I dropped to one knee. They had it all on video, and uh, she just starts laughing. I'll send you guys the video because she just starts laughing because I—I mean, I had to—I had to do something that she wasn't ready for, and um, I'm like, and she's laughing. I'm like, yeah. She's like, yes. She said yes. Play ball. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, and, that's really cute. It was really awesome. fun. Well, hey, you guys, I really appreciate you taking the time. Travis, Kristen, Thanks for this is the first time we've ever had a wife uh, on board the episode. So um, we really appreciate you taking the time. Travis, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Yeah, I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks for taking the time. And stay safe out there right now. And we'll hope your extravagantly great partner is feeling well real soon.
0: Oh, she's feeling fine. She's working. Uh, it was Travis. Uh, it was, uh, sorry, Roy. Yeah, he's, oh, we're yeah. hoping he gets better. That part. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's <their> partner. He's her partner.